When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening live or archived, we're so glad you could join us today as we record on Monday, September 30th. We will recap the 45-10 win for Duke over Virginia Tech and take a big-picture look at the state of tech football. Our crew today, the same as always. We've got Malcolm, yes, he's related, Stuart behind the scenes producing on the podcast set, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. So glad that everybody could be with us today, again, recording on Monday, September 30th. A reminder that this week and every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, good morning to you guys. It is a kind of an overcast morning in Blacksburg, but as I pulled in to the TSL uh, offices today, you can notice that the leaves are starting to change color and, and fall is upon us. A great time of the year. And it was 90 degrees yesterday, and it's forecast to be in the 80s this week, so it's crazy. It's the hottest almost, September on record since, <clears throat> since the 50s in Blacksburg, I think. And probably one of the driest, too. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's uh, September 30th today, is that right? Yes. So we're almost into October. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody the other day, and she said, uh, it's actually the occupational therapist for my broken finger. And she knows exactly when the last time her husband mowed the lawn was because they had visitors on something like July 27th, and he mowed the lawn on July 26th, and that's it. Hadn't mowed it since then. So two full months of not mowing the lawn. Wow. Tells you how dry it's been. Well, speaking of the weather, on uh, Friday night when the Hokies played Duke, I thought it was one of the best games of what i mean it was a beautiful day all day in blacksburg I mean, it, was yes. it was it was perfect yeah the weather, the, the weather was perfect and no rain and it know, was all set up right there on a tee beautiful evening for football <laughs> i i did want to uh quickly uh you know chris did get to uh hang out with a uh a favorite baseball player of of, of his growing up uh in andrew jones how was that i was great got to talk i, f- I knew i was gonna meet him I figured, you know, I'd get a picture with him, you know, hello and all that, but actually he's talk baseball with him for 15 or 20 minutes, and he works in the front office for the Braves right now. So it was good to talk about everything from, like, clubhouse chemistry to when you start resting starters, if you've already clinched the division, things like that. Uh, just good baseball conversation. Awesome. And how was your tailgate, Will? It was good. Tailgated with some buddies over on uh, Edgewood Lane and uh, – you know, we, we had a good turnout, so I, I knew the crowd was going to be good. There were almost 60,000 people. That, that was the announce, announce, announced attendance was 59-something. And I knew it was going to be good because, you know, you, you get a lot of email and text traffic and, and things like that. So I knew turnout would be good, and our tailgate was good. We, we didn't have any former professional athletes there. But uh, <laughs> but you, you know, did we, have stick it and ale there. <clears throat> we did, of course, as always. Yep. We had everybody it at our tailgate. Look at that. Yeah. There you go. It was really cool to see on uh, TSL social media, by the way, going into uh, Gucci Kroger, the uh, yeah, the amount of uh, sticking in ale that was there. That was a lot. That was a lot. Yeah, we put a picture on Twitter of just a mountain of sticking in ale. I think 400 cases got delivered to Blacksburg, and 200 were sent to Kroger, that one Kroger on, yeah. on, on South Main Street in Blacksburg. Could be, or, or maybe the two of them together, but there was a lot of it at Kroger. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. Well, we talked about how beautiful the, the, the night was on Friday night. We talked about the fans that were there. We've literally talked about every single positive thing that happened on Friday. And, and now so we, we're out of positive things. <laughs> and now we dive into the, the conversation. And Virginia Tech was looking to extend its winning streak to three games on Friday, pick up its first ACC victory of the season. And despite leading 3 nothing, Hokies fall 45-10. to It's their worst loss at home since Houston beat the Hokies 49-12 to in the 70s. Chris, I'll start with you. From the X's and O's standpoint, what did you make of the loss? Defensively, the first quarter, we looked like old-school Virginia Tech defense. Um, offensively, it basically looked like we took the game plan from the second half of the Furman game, uh, which worked, and just went with it for the Duke game, uh, which obviously didn't work. But to me, with the injuries to Willis and Hooker, um, you know, the, these injuries have not been announced for, for, by Virginia Tech, nor will Right, they. these aren't official. Um, it's just... Well, we hear Willis has a sprained AC joint in his throwing shoulder. We hear that Hooker has a torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. I mean, Virginia Tech's quarterbacks are banged up right now. And to me, that whole game plan was about protecting Virginia Tech's quarterbacks, keeping them upright, and, you know, hoping the defense holds Duke down and you win a low-scoring game. Because Virginia Tech's only chance was to win a low-scoring game. I, I picked Duke to win 20-17. to 17. I just couldn't see Virginia Tech getting over 20 points against their, their defense with as banged up as Virginia Tech's quarterbacks are and as bad as the rest of the offense has been. Um, so that's what that game plan was all about. Uh, but, you know, when Duke starts scoring and they keep scoring and they keep scoring – you know, that game kind of goes out the window, or at least it should. Or maybe it shouldn't because Tech had – even if they had just started throwing the ball all over the field, they had no chance to come back. They weren't going to come back against Duke. Yeah. Um, and so at some point it becomes important to try to keep your quarterbacks as healthy as possible for the rest of the season. So quite frankly, I expect a similar game plan against Miami and, and a game that is 95% chance unwinnable for Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, it's more important to have – upright quarterbacks for the remainder of the ACC schedule when you have more of a chance to win. So I would expect another conservative approach on Saturday. There, there's been a lot of criticism of the offense, and, and certainly it's some of it's warranted. But we just don't know what the quarterbacks can and can't do and how that affects play calling and, and all that sort of thing. Um, you watch Ryan Willis, and you can't tell he's hurt. I didn't, I didn't think so anyway. Um, he delivered, for example, once Duke got up 7-3, to he delivered a nice ball about 30 or 35 yards down the middle. It wasn't perfectly accurate, but it was well thrown. It had some zip on it, and it hit Trey Turner in the hands, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you watching, if you don't follow it closely, you know, you, you don't really think, oh, yeah, he's hurt, and you don't really know that Hendon Hooker is, is hurt. Um, so... Some of the criticisms found it like, you know, one thing I wasn't happy with was the first and goal from the six and, you know, run it up the middle. The strength of your team is not your offensive line. They're young. There's a lot of talent there, but they're young. They're freshmen and sophomores. One of the strengths of Duke's team is not necessarily the athleticism and playmaking ability of their defensive line, but the, the age and maturity of their defensive line. You run Deshaun McLeason. Deshaun doesn't break a lot of tackles. So from the six-yard line, you run him up the middle twice. That doesn't go anywhere, you know. And and the strength of this team is its wide receivers. And one of its quarter one of the one of Ryan Willis's strengths is the ability to throw the fade route. And you never go there. And I think that kind of criticism is fair. And at one point, I do believe Tech had man coverage against Hazelton. Yeah, down there in, in that and possession. I don't know if it was that possession or the yeah. next possession. I, I forget, but uh, you know, and, and they don't throw the fade, and that's how they beat Duke last year was one-on-one -on -one opportunities with receivers against uh, Duke's defensive backs, and so they didn't run the fade there, which tells, which could mean a few different things. Number one, Ryan Willis didn't have the freedom to check into that play, in which case the coaching staff doesn't trust him to make the right decisions. Or he didn't check into it because he didn't, he didn't uh, he, see it. He didn't <laughs> see it, which in and if that's the decision, if that's the situation, then yeah, he doesn't make good decisions. So, so could be either one. Either way, y you know, yeah, I agree. I mean, that that was some pretty unimaginative play calling down there. Um, you, you've got to try to get your wide receivers involved in a situation like that. I think. 
And then Tech, as we said, defensively, they you know they pitched a shutout in the first quarter. You alluded to people were saying maybe that was the best quarter of defense Virginia Tech has put together all season. They were certainly ready. Um, you could tell they were, and the announcers commented on it. They were. I don't want to use the expression flying to the ball, but there were multiple players sniffing out plays. Uh-huh. And what was it? Uh, Duke's first 10 plays picked up something like eight yards. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That, that shows that you've prepared well and the, and the players are, know what's coming. And then leading 3 nothing early in the second quarter, Hendon Hooker comes in. They run a jet sweep. Uh, Kashawn King ex- uh, bobbled the exchange. Duke recovers a fumble at about inside the Virginia Tech in the red zone. And they score a 16-yard touchdown pass on the on the very next play. Very you, next play. You go back and watch that play, and Duke fakes a pass out to the flat. I think they've got trips out on that side, and they they come up and they and they fake the pass out of the flat. I don't even know if Quentin Harris even pump faked it. He just looked in that direction, and there were three Tech defenders in the area, and they all read short pass to the flat and closed in on that. And the tight end Noah Gray goes downfield and he catches a wide open touchdown pass. But there was another guy in in the pattern. Quentin Harris could have picked from one of two guys, both other, of yep. whom were wide open. So yeah. when that fumble happened, the, the the exchange between Hooker and King, Duke scores, did that change the entire outlook of this game? Well, it shouldn't, should it? It's 7-3 <laughs> to in the first quarter? Second quarter. Early, early, early second, second quarter. quarter. Yeah. At this point, it's a 7-3 to game. You're at home on a Friday night. Yet you're losing 7-3, to but you've only allowed 24 yards of total offense and one first down. Under no situation should that change the course of a game. But it did. It did. I mean, I thought the Tech defense deflated after that. I didn't think they were as, oh, I don't think they stayed mentally involved after that. Uh, There was a whole lot of going through the motions. I thought specific players stayed mentally involved and played really hard, like Deshaun Crawford and and Garbutt and and Tisdale. Uh, Garbutt in particular – or, excuse me, Garbutt, not Garbutt – Crawford in particular was great, um, but just it just seemed like like they lost their mental edge. It was like they realized, man, this our offense isn't going to be able to score. What's the point? And, um, and and I tried to watch the game last night. I I had a very busy weekend in other ways, so I got to the game kind of rewatching it kind of late. And what I saw after Duke went up seven to three was, and, and I'm not going to name names, but I specifically saw players on defense that just didn't have that same pop and that same edge. And I cut, I actually cut it off and quit watching it when I watched with about eight and a half minutes left to go in the second quarter. I watched Quentin Harris break the pocket on a like a second and fifteen. And he had a shot at picking up a first down, and two Tech players def- descended, uh, closed in on him from different sides. And one of them watched the other one make the tackle, just pulled up short and watched. And that's when I cut it off. Um, I don't really think I need to watch another 37 minutes of game time of, of that sort of thing. You know? So anyway, we're getting down into the details of this game, but I don't think that's really what people want us to talk about. Today. Well, that, that leads me into my next bullet point, because after the game, uh, Will, you went to social media, and I want to read the tweet for those that did not see it. You said, quote, Welp, you don't recover from this one. Close quote. What did you mean by your tweet? So, one of the things, if you, if you read my stuff, I wrote after the Furman game uh, in my Monday article uh, that... Yeah, you know, they, you had the off-season narrative of, hey, we're all together as a team. You know, we're we we've got this thing going in the right direction, and that's typical off-season stuff. Then you go and you lose to Boston College, you uh, um, get up on ODU, and then let them come back and make it a close game. Then you're down by fourteen to three at halftime to Furman, and you have to come back and and win. You have to come back against Furman. So I wrote in my article. The conversation, and and the title of the article is actually The Conversation. And what I saw happening was the conversation started centering on Fuente and whether or not he's the right guy for the job. Man, I I really don't know. You know, we're three games in, and we're supposed to be a lot better, and I'm not seeing it, and I don't know about this guy. And I wrote that once that conversation starts, it it uh, rarely changes back for the better. It's, it's unusual once that conversation about the head coach starts for it to, to change. 
then when you get hammered at home by Duke, you, you just don't recover from that one. So I was thinking at halftime of the Furman game, man, it's 14-3. If Tech loses this one, Fuente's lost the fan base. You don't recover from that one. Well, they actually beat Furman. When you lose 45-10 to 10 to Duke at home, you just I just don't see that he's going to recover from that bad of a beating at home from a school that's not a, you know, the thing about Duke is that's a solid football team. I took a quick look at their schedule last night. It's not as if that team is going to go nine and three or 10 and two. The fact that they rolled into Lane Stadium and stomped Tech, that doesn't say anything about the rest of their season. They're going to win five or six games, maybe. They're three and one now. They're, they're going to be a typical solid Duke team, but they're not that good of a team. So when I say you don't recover from that one, man, the conversation has ramped up big time. And I just don't see you know, Fuente getting, getting past this one. What do I mean by that? I'm, I mean, I think he's lost a large portion of the fan base at this point. And I just got to be honest about that. You know? and So that segues into you start, if, if, if you do what we do for a living, you start wondering, Wow, okay, so I look at message boards and I look at social media, I look at Twitter, I look at Facebook, I talk to people. What's really going on here? How do people really feel? And it's kind of gauche to run a poll. We're not going to do that on Tech Sideline. But Ox VT did run a poll, is running a poll on Twitter. So I think you've got that pulled up. So let's go through that and let's talk about that. So OxVT, who's a friend of Tech Sideline, put out this poll uh, 18 hours ago. Of course, we're recording on Monday morning. He said, quote, after the 45-10 blowout to Duke, assume the worst the rest of 2019. What do you do knowing this was considered to be the easiest Power 5 schedule in the nation and knowing you'll pay $15 million, likely over five years, to select option three? Option one is status quo. It's a young team. Keep everything. Option two is replace almost all of the team or its or its assets. Assistants. Assistants. Yeah. Assistant yes. coaches. Yeah. Read that wrong. He abbreviated it. But, so. Yes, my bad. And then number three is the total reset button. 1,700 votes. 52% of those who voted in this poll select a total reset button. 38% said replace all or most of the assistants. And then 10% said status quo. It's a young team. So in, in that poll... Only one out of every ten Hokie fans is saying, hey, hang in there. It'll be all right. They're just young. Right. The oh, other 90% are say- – and let's be clear. When you talk about replacing assistants, they're going to have to replace Bud Foster. And, and we probably, know they're at least replacing some. Yeah, that's a given. We're actually talking about assistants over on the um, offensive side of the ball, and you could even be talking about strength and conditioning staff and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. So 90% of fans – participating in that poll feel like there need to be major changes to complete changes and so some of you out there are like ah twitter's a cesspool who cares what they think on twitter well here's my take okay i i spend a lot of time message boards and primarily uh twitter and facebook i don't spend time on instagram so i don't have a real opinion on instagram instagram to me isn't a real discuss- people don't put opinions on instagram it's, it's not like. a discussion platform correct okay Uh, My take after spending years and looking at hundreds and thousands of posts on Twitter and Facebook is that although the Twitterati tend to be a little brutal, they, in my opinion, also tend to be a little more involved and in general know a little bit more about what they're talking about than I'm I'm not a big fan of, of a lot of what I see on Facebook, that most of the interaction that I see on Facebook is just go Hokies responses to basically everything and and people misspelling Fuente's name and talking <laughs> about Ryan Williams, Virginia Tech's quarterback. You know, it's it's I don't tend to give a lot of cred to what gets said on Facebook because these are people who are just kind of scrolling through and, and clicking like and saying go Hokies. Chris, you wrote an article yesterday, uh, which is available on TechSideline.com right now. Uh, very thorough read. And what I really found intriguing about what you did is you did not get on the message boards and you wanted to be alone with your thoughts is what you said as you wrote this article um yeah i mean i talked to a few people who i know know the program really well right and uh and 
and wanted to match up their thoughts with my own and see if they will see if they matched. You titled uh, and, the article. And, uh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But you you titled that article "Jumping mm-hmm. the Fence." So I'll ask you what I asked Will about his tweet. What did you mean by the title of that article? I mean, it means you change your opinion from one side to the other. Um, <clears throat> I was questioning. I was already questioning. Oh, let me backtrack a little bit. I'm not one, generally not the type of person that changes my opinion on anything overnight. I just let all the data add up, and just it's a gradual process for me. And I, and I would say that I was inching towards the fence a little bit because I had questions about our staff's player development ability. For, um, you see some of these guys like Dalton Keene, why is he the exact same player he was as a junior as he was when he was a true freshman? I see guys just not getting developed to, uh, to me. Uh, particularly on that side of the ball, um, and I and I also don't think Fuente's <clears throat> roster building philosophies 100% match up with mine about what about what should be done at a program like Virginia Tech to build your roster. Um, there there are different ways to do things, and, and some ways are good for certain schools, and some ways are good for other schools. I don't think his philosophies completely match up with mine. They do in some ways, but not always. So I was. Moving that way a little bit, um, and I think I, I probably wrote oh, after the ODU game that I thought we needed to replace a couple of offensive coaches, though I wasn't going to say who, who, who it was. Uh, but that game yesterday knocked me all the way to the other side of the fence, and I started thinking about the entire program. And this isn't all a Fuente thing. Uh, I... I pretty much want to gut the whole program. There are parts of the program that I'm not, I'm not going to say who or what or where, but there, there were parts of the program that I thought should have been changed when Frank Beamer retired. That was, the, that was an opportunity. I'm not, I'm not really talking about Bud Foster. I'm talking about other parts of the program that most people don't talk about. Um, things, some things should have been blown up when Beamer retired, and they weren't. And, and I, So Fuente really inherited a program that was 50% Beamer's and 50% his. And some of the stuff that he inherited, I, I, I think, has been a hindrance for him. But the I, but I, I think, and I, I want to blow all of it up, to be quite honest with you, but the thing is, if you blow the entire thing up, let's say you, every single assistant, except for Justin Hamilton probably, is gone after this season, whole new staff next year, and let's say he still gets fired after 2020. That means you've got a different coaching staff in terms of assistant coaches. You've got a different coaching staff in 2019, 2020, and then Fuente's fired, and then you've got a whole different staff in 2021. So that's if you're a quarterback or a running back or a defensive back or, or a defensive lineman, that means you've got three different coaches in three years. It's, it's just a tough situation. And that's a tough situation. And, and this is a program that needs some stability. We, 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 we can't be a program where the personnel, whether that's coaches or players or whatever, they're just streaming in and out of the program. You know, there, there has to be roster stability. There has to be coaching staff stability. Um, this is not a program that, that, can, that will do well with a whole lot of turnover, in, in my opinion. Um, now, there needs to be turnover sometimes. Like right now, I think there needs to be massive turnover um, because – a lot of the people involved just aren't good enough. But on a yearly basis, you know, you can't have assistants cycling in and out of the program and things like that. So I would rather have two different coaching staffs over three years than three different coaching staffs over three years. Yeah, so one of the, uh, <clears throat> one of the options here is that uh, you, you, com- you fully to completely revamp the assistant coaching staff. So everybody goes back to 1992. Oh, that worked for Frank Beamer. Dave, Dave Brain said, I think you're a good coach, but I think you need some new assistants. And he went out and got him, and by golly, that turned the program around. Well, one of the things that I'm, I'm – I worked on my article last night. I was up to about 1.30 a.m. And one of the things that's in it, and it'll run later on in the day, is that sure that they did that for Frank and it worked for Frank, but – Parts of that, that situation were really unusual and difficult to replicate. And specifically, uh, Frank said, uh, if you go back and look at his Turn Up the Wick book, uh, I believe, isn't one of the chapters called The Best Hire I Ever Made? It is. And That's it's, correct. It's Phil Omasian. And 
so Frank had been coaching here six years. They, they, they wiped out the coaching staff. And what was unique about that is that Elmation was already a guy who never stayed anywhere more than a year or two. He didn't care if he had job stability or not. He came in, so he was kind of unique from that standpoint. Most assistant coaches aren't going to want to go into a situation where a coach has been a head coach has been there four years and is having to clean out his entire staff and is already kind of on the hot seat. That makes people nervous. Elmisha didn't care, you know, because that's the way his entire career went, and it went that way after he left Virginia Tech two years later. So he was kind of unique from that standpoint. The second thing that was unique is that he changed – and Chris and I have both talked to players of that era. He changed the culture. Elmation did change the culture of Virginia Tech football. He was a, an, a, an immensely forceful personality. Tech had some good, tough talent back then. But he, and, and Frank himself said this. I, I, read, I read an article last night where Frank talked about these things. Elmation just got it all to coalesce and come to a head and start working. And that, that, that team, that 93 team, particularly the defense, truly became hard, smart, and tough. And that changed the culture of the entire program. And then the third thing that worked out was you had a guy named Bud Foster on staff who just kind of paid attention and then took what Elmation did and ran with it. And Frank also, and there's even really a fourth thing, the one hire that Frank made in Phil O'Masian that, that really worked out also happened to be the heart and soul of how Frank wanted to build his team, defense. If he had had a similar offensive coordinator, I'm not sure it would have had the same effect on the program as a whole. But it was all just these things that all came together to make that situation work. And that's difficult to replicate. And so that's why you start asking yourself, listen, if you're going to clean out the whole uh, assistant coaching staff, why not just remove the head coach with him and start with a fresh sheet of paper? Sure, way back in 1993, Frank made it work, but it, that's just really hard to do. It's rare and probably even more rare for the same thing to happen to the same program twice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, lightning has struck once for Virginia Tech in that regard. It's probably not going to strike twice if you play the percentages. I hope it does because I don't want to spend $15 million on a buyout. Twelve and a half million yeah, next year, or let's, whatever. Let's, we're we are not standing here with pitchforks at the gate. You know, we don't want this to happen. We want things to work out. Let's be perfectly clear about that. We probably should have led with that. Yeah. You know, and and I have the utmost respect for Fuente as a person. You know, he he is a a person who wants to win and wants to run the program the right way. He's, you know, he 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 takes a beating for his his personality whatever that is you know yeah and I, he, I, I watched notre dame virginia and i've on, never man. seen brian kelly smile a day in my life and all they do is win games right because brian kelly's a really good coach and he's got really good assistance which i don't think fuente has uh, i don't know if it's too late for him to recover from that or not but i don't think he hired good assistance bo Pelini, all the man did is w- win in nebraska i don't think anybody is looking forward to having breakfast with breakfast with Bo Pelini anytime soon, right? Maybe, uh, so, maybe Faux Pelini, but not Bo Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> the best exa- exactly. <laughs> so the whole personality thing, like – That's overblown. Like, like Pelini was, was pretty much a jerk, right? And that's what that's, – he got fired for being a jerk because he w- never won fewer than nine games in Nebraska. Yeah. And Valente is not a jerk at all. He might not be the warm, warm, and, warm and fuzzy guy and everything like that, but he's not like Pelini or some of these other guys you see. So that has nothing to do with Virginia Tech's winning and losing right now. Right. What has to do with their winning and losing is player development, or lack thereof. Uh, preparation. Preparation. Maybe there are X's and O's on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and at this point, if the fan base has lost confidence, they've definitely lost confidence in the assistant coaches. So – if the fan base is losing confidence in the assistant coaches, even though the players will never admit this publicly, but they probably have to, at least some of them have, and when the players start losing confidence in the coaching staff, then things are going to descend fairly rapidly. And yeah, I think so, we saw part of that descent on Friday night. So so let me jump in here and say another thing I'm putting in my article is you, you, you look at how how quickly things collapsed Friday night. Um, it's it's my opinion, and I'll admit I didn't I didn't play football beyond ninth grade. But I've been watching this stuff for many years. It's my opinion for, for players to keep playing hard through adversity, they have, to, they have to feel a couple of things. 
Number one, they have to feel that the coaching staff is putting them in a position to win. And that means that they're, they're getting developed in the offseason, but in season they're well prepared for a game, that the, the play calling is putting them in a position to win and using the best players in the best ways. And I think the second thing is players need to look around and know that the best players are on the field, that favorites are not being played, that there's no sentimentality for anything, that if you're performing then you get to start and you get most of the playing time. And I think as long as you have those two things, players will keep playing hard for you. And when, when they don't play hard for you throughout the course of a game, I'm not going to use the Q word. I'm not going to go there. If, they don't, if they're not resilient and they don't play till the, the final whistle after 60 minutes, then they're not believing in something. They're not trusting. They'll check out mentally. Yeah. There's, a, there's a difference between the Q word and checking, and out, checking mentally. out mentally. And checking out mentally, yeah. And, and so you, you may see so, – so we're sitting here having this conversation after the fourth game of the season. There's still eight games to go. Maybe something amazing will happen. Maybe. I don't know. We just have to wait and see. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I sit here and say I'm, I'm, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I'm not really. I look at the scores. <laughs> you know, the Dolphins are tanking. And yet they'll play well in the first half. They'll be down by a touchdown at halftime, and then they'll lose by three or four scores. That's because they're just not – you know, they're go- players like to play, so they're going out there giving it their best shot, but after a while they're probably checking their watches going, yeah, we're not going to win this thing. Let's just get out of here. You know, and, um, We live in Miami. We've got better things to do. <laughs> so my point, my point in saying that is that you may see a good performance here or there from Virginia Tech the rest of the year. What you see right now looks pretty ugly and points towards a three- or four-win season. Um, so kind of let all eight games play out. You know, if, if they go down there and they unexpected – I expect them to, to not do well at Miami this weekend. That's a whole other conversation for the next podcast. But if they go down there and they play a great game and they only lose by a touchdown, that, that doesn't say anything more about the next seven games after that. you got to put all of them together and take a look. Yeah, the only thing we know right now is they've gotten progressively worse each game. You know, we were, remember when we were sitting there talking about how the most improvement comes between game one and two? <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it didn't seem like it, that was the case. Well, in hindsight, it does look like that was the case, right? I thought we made our most improvement between one and two. We, Boston College, as it turns out, isn't very good. So... We, and that ODU defense is, is legitimate, really right. good defense. So Tech might have actually gotten better between Boston College and ODU. We just didn't realize it at the time. But it's, ever since then, it's worse and worse and worse. And yeah. It's just not looking good. One thing I want to emphasize, too, is like you're saying, you know, don't want to have this conversation by any means. But one thing that has been brought up a lot on the message board and social media, and I do think that it is worth bringing up, even though we're not – uh, financial experts by any means is the is the buyout. There's a lot of conversation about that. Numbers being thrown around. We it looks like the buyout is is 15 million dollars. Just in just in terms of of the athletic department and what that money is. That that is a very steep price, correct for most athletic departments. It is for Virginia Tech, you know, and, and then the buyout's 15 million at this point in time. It goes down to 12 and a half million on December 15th. The following December 15th, it goes down to 10 million. The following December fifteenth, seven and a half million. So it's it's a big nut. Whether you wait another year or two, it's it's just not going to change a whole lot. And Virginia Tech's athletic department, pretty rich, runs financially runs right on the line these days. Uh, they they ran in the black for years and years. In recent years, they've run in the red a couple of years, in the black a little bit. So they're they're right on that line. And one of the things we've been fortunate about here at Virginia Tech is that. Uh, there has never been a moment in my time following the program where they're paying literally millions of dollars a year to former coaches. Uh, they paid Seth Greenberg. When they cut Seth Greenberg loose, they only owed him 250000 a year for three years or something like that. They haven't fired a football coach since the 70s. Yeah, you know, and and that that comes with a steep price tag. Now, you probably don't have to come up with all $15 million at once. And these things are generally structured to where if he takes another coaching job, then whatever he makes at the new coaching job is subtracted from your payout. That's usually how this stuff is structured. That's why you see so many former head coaches mm-hmm. going and taking analyst jobs under Nick Saban because that doesn't count as a coaching job. So they can get paid by Saban and then still get their buyout. And James Johnson did that when he got fired uh-huh. as basketball coach. He was due something like $280,000 yeah. a year for two years. And he went and took a DBO, a yeah. director of basketball operations job with Miami. He didn't take an actual coaching job. 
So he's getting paid for that job by Miami, getting paid full freight from Virginia Tech. And then I believe as soon as that is, it ran up. And boom, he's an assistant year, he coach back again. With NC State. That's right. Right. So. Yep. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's take a time out here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, which is presented by the Fisher Law Firm. When we'll come back, we'll wrap up this conversation. We'll get to your comments and questions on Facebook, and we'll talk a little bit about Miami. Again, this is the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back to the Tech Sideline Podcast. Our thanks to our friends at the Fisher Law Firm for presenting the Tech Sideline Podcast. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and I'm Evan Hughes on the podcast set. So one more comment about how we don't want to be having this conversation, and we've started to tell our readers this and, and people on you know YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. We talk about these things because the fans are talking about them. Um, and uh, the the 10% crowd that thinks you ought to stay the course, they get a little harumphy with us and they threaten to cancel subscriptions and things like that. We would be remiss in our duties and our jobs if we didn't discuss these things. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we continue. Oh, absolutely. That's a, it's a, that's a fantastic point. Uh, again, uh, we'll get to uh, comments on Facebook here shortly, but I, I do kind of want to wrap up this conversation with this because today is September 30th and we're talking about this. There are still eight games remaining on this schedule. I mean, if, if let's just play the hypothetical game. If Virginia Tech goes down to Coral Gables and they pull the upset and they beat Miami, this conversation likely... That Miami fans are having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> With their, but, they lost to Virginia Tech. But but it, it it seems like, again, it's just... A, again, we wouldn't be having this conversation necessarily right now if it weren't for a 45-10 to 10 loss to Duke, right? We probably oh. wouldn't be having that. So if Tech goes not down this to beat Miami, of a not conversation. this profoundly, yeah. yeah. But it just it feels like that the team itself and and the coaching staff, everybody has the, the opportunity to right the ship, so to speak. Yeah, but you know, I, I, that's it's very unrealistic to think that's going to happen. Um, the defensive staff, with the exception of Hamilton, they know they're not going to be here next year. Uh, the offensive staff, I think at this point, most of them, they have a pretty good idea that they're not going to be here th- next right. year. So when you know you're not going to be somewhere, when you know you have no future at your current job, if I knew Will was going to fire me at the end of the next week, I wouldn't show up. I wouldn't even show up the rest of the What's the point? <laughs> right? Would you? Yeah. You, you know. know, so and I'm not saying they're going to quit coaching or, or – they're still going to practice, obviously, but – I think they're look. Everybody's probably looking over the horizon right now, so uh, it's just unlikely to get better. As Will said, you, you're going to probably see a couple of good performances from from here on out. Just because players like to play. Players like to play, and basic law of, of averages, yeah. right? Um, we're going to play a good game at some point against somebody who's playing a bad game. That's that's the law of averages, but. The overall trend, I don't think, is going to be upward. I think it's going to stand pat or maybe even drop a little bit. It's it's hard to imagine it getting a lot worse, you know. <laughs> so Fam- famous it, last words, right? <laughs> so, again, looking at the hypothetical, though, the, the rest of the way, win total for this team? Well, Ro- Rhode Island, uh, that'll get you three, right? Yeah, they're 0-4, uh, so. And everybody's pointing towards Georgia Tech, but, you know, Georgia Tech is – They've got a good enough defense, I think, but their offense is atrocious. Honestly, that might be one of those Virginia Tech-Wake Forest games. It's like zero to zero going to overtime. So you're up to four. Neither one of those teams can score. And and it's hard to – Is there a path to get to seven? Hard to – No, I don't think so. Very unlikely. I'm sorry sorry to be so emphatic, but, uh, you know, Pittsburgh is very physical, you know, and – that game, that game's down here, eh, for whatever that's worth. You know, that doesn't seem to be worth much anymore. Yeah. Uh, Virginia is, you know, I, I, I sort of had one eye on the Virginia-Notre the Virginia Dame game this past weekend. If Virginia doesn't have two horrendous turnovers, you know, that game ended up 35-20. to 20. I thought UVA was, was very competitive from a walking through the room and watching a few minutes at a time standpoint. 
Miami's got one of the top defenses in the country. It's in Coral Gables. I mean, we could go down the list. It's just not looking good for seven. It's not looking good for five, actually. No, it's not. At this point in time. Yeah, it, this honestly looks like a four and eight, one and seven team in the ACC. That's what it yeah. looks like to me. Yeah. Last thing I want to hit on this. I was I was thinking about this this morning and what this this coaching staff has accomplished thus far, right? Like a 10-win season, a 9-win season to begin, uh, an ACC Coastal uh, title in, in Justin Fuente's first year, losing by a touchdown to Clemson in the ACC championship game. I was thinking about a, a, a year removed. Think about this just last year where this team was a year ago. They were ranked 12th in the country, undefeated, going into Old Dominion, <laughs> Two weeks from the Old Dominion game, we're welcoming in Notre Dame with a chance if they were undefeated to beat Notre Dame, people were talking about the college football playoff for Virginia That, that was Tech just a year ago. Yeah, That was yeah. about a year ago. And this is where – so it just not really a question, but I was just thinking about how – I mean, there were there were fans. If, if they beat Notre Dame, they took care of business against Old Dominion and Duke, it could have been a top-10 matchup in lane. We were talking about it game day coming it, in. I was writing about it. Wow. So, uh, just, so uh, what, what, what – the last year, I mean, just what – what has happened is the big question. I mean, well, I mean, because this was where there was a year ago. This co- this is where that Virginia Tech was a year ago. The same coaching staff had Virginia Tech. Obviously, when they beat Florida State, Florida State turned out to be frauds. But when didn't mean anything. We thought it meant something at the time, and it did not because Florida State's not hasn't been good. Um, I, I you know there there's certainly an issue with player development in my opinion now there's a lot of youth and I don't think last year's team was going to be particularly good and knowing what I know now playing as many freshmen as we are I think we're capped this year even with excellent coaching but I do think that there is a player development issue Um, I think the coaches in general are good enough um, when they have developed players and when Fuente took over they had a lot of developed players, Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, those guys had already been developed. Um, you know, Edmonds already developed, Ken Canham already developed. Lots of really good players that had already been developed. And now you see a lot of the guys. Our wide receivers have developed under Fuente, under this staff. Um, you haven't seen really much development from the running backs. Dalton Keene. I thought was amazing two years ago when he was a true freshman H-back, and he had never played H-back or tight end before. He was a high school running back. To do what he did as a true freshman was amazing. And now he's just like the exact same player as he was two years ago. Um, Uh, And so when you take over a group of of developed players and you win with them, great. But I I just haven't seen the player development from Virginia Tech, from, from this set of coaches. Uh, once those older players cycled out of the program, I don't think we should have been as good because we've been really young. But you should see more development from those guys. Um, so that that that's the, that's the main thing that that I think I'm seeing right now is the the lack of player development is is pretty bad. Uh, the, and there, there's just the the confidence in the program just isn't there. And, and one game that I go back to is the 2016 Pittsburgh game up uh, up in Pittsburgh and. That was that was two teams just slugging it out that night, and Tech just. Uh, I, I remember there was a clip of, of Fuente coming over to the sidelines at one point. You know, Pitt was playing. I guess that man coverage yeah. and just daring Virginia Tech to throw the football, and the wide receivers were making plays all over the place. three receivers over 100 yards yeah you know and and, and, I, and I remember Fuente and and Narduzzi bullheadedly stuck with the man coverage and and Fuente at one point came over to the sideline and yelled to his players they're going to keep doing what they're doing we're going to keep doing what we're doing let's just go out and win and that just and I remember analyzing the traffic stats from that season and Virginia Tech had some big wins that year but that was the one that got people the most excited was just the the drama and theater of that game and the go ahead and give me your best shot. We're coming right back at you. And we just don't see that anymore, you know, and, and I don't even remember, I guess you were making a comment. You weren't really asking a question, you know, and, and that is what has been lost in the last three years. You can, you can get down and and analyze all the little details, but sometimes you just gotta, you know, get in your little drone and take a 50,000 foot view. Although it's an awfully high, high, altitude for a drone to get to but, <laughs> but you just got to go up and look down and you don't see the confidence and you see duke beating virginia tech 45 to 10 and 
you really don't need to get bogged down in the details when that's going on. That says something about the direction your program's headed in. I want to make sure we give a, a lot of time over to Malcolm. Uh, yes, he's related to it behind the scenes producing. I'm sure we have a lot of uh, comments on Facebook. I want to make sure we can get to as many questions as we can today. So, Malcolm, how's it going over there? Going well. <clears throat> going better. Now that I <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do you even want to start, man? Is Fuente getting fired? Should we even start there? Um, I have a better question for Chris, okay. actually. Uh, how long do you think before the damage to Virginia Tech's reputation or the how fans oh, uh, view the football program before that outweighs the buyout? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, with reseeding coming up next year. You're actually kind of approaching that point, and I, I'll yeah. let you answer because he did address it to you. I, I, I agree. We're approaching that point. There, there's reseeding coming up next year, and – you know, Virginia Tech depends on reseeding to bring in extra revenue every few years and things like that. Yeah. And uh, your average fan out there, if you're driving up six hours from Virginia Beach, do you really want to come and watch next year? Unless you're just a hardcore tailgater. I, um, if this keeps up, the Penn, the fact that Penn State comes here next year is not going to be a draw. It won't be as nearly as big of a draw. Because if Duke's beating you 45 to 10, what's Penn what State going to do, do, do to you? Exactly. Um so I thought I thought the fan base, like in the tailgating lots, we had a really good tailgate on Friday. Uh, I, I went to Center Street for a little while, actually, for the first time, and, and what a scene that is. That's going to get <laughs> shut down within two or three years, I yeah, guarantee we'll see. you. But, uh, <laughs> You're right. It, it probably won't last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I think we're rapidly approaching that point. I, I, I agree. Um, and to me, if you're going to make a move – if you wait a year, like the 2020 recruiting class is already going to – it's always going to be a really small class. It's not going to be a great class on paper. But if you retain him for a year and hire co- and hire a whole new staff, you know, he's going to hire the best coaches he can get, not necessarily the best recruiters he can get. And his lame duck status and, and that will combine to mean the 2021 class on paper probably isn't very good. Yeah. Um, so then you hurt the next coach because the next coach will have had back-to-back bad classes. And in four or five years, possibly we find ourselves in the same spot, right? Um, so it's just, if you're going to pull the plug, uh, rip off the Band-Aid on the whole program, this is the year to do it in a class we're only going to sign like 15 guys. And, and that wasn't really what the question no. about was the question. The question was about the financial Correct. trade-off. Correct. It's going to cost you $15 million to do it now. If you don't do it, what's it going to cost you in support? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's much harder to pin down. Right. So, uh, but to his point, even though he went on a little bit of a tangent, <sighs> it, it's, it's a question that's hard to answer, but we don't get paid the big bucks to answer. We just get paid small bucks to talk about it. <laughs> what else you got, Malcolm? Mm. I'm watching his computer. He's doing a lot of scrolling. <laughs> There's a lot of feedback on this one. 76 comments, uh, 185 concurrent viewers. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Uh, recruiting, are we losing a bunch of recruits? Uh, we were already we? losing a bunch of recruits. Yeah, this, this, uh, th- this, this class was never set up for success, especially defensively with – all the questions about Bud Foster's yeah. retirement. I mean, we were having trouble recruiting defensive players before the retirement announcement because players were getting told by assistant by other coaches that don't go to Virginia Tech. You don't know who your coaches are going to be on the de- if you're a defensive player. And uh, so this was going to be a bad defensive class either way. So, <clears throat> which highlights again what a unique situation this is. I mean, Fuente takes over for a legend, and then the other legend is still on the staff, and now the other legend is retiring when you're on the hot seat. Ugh, it's just a situation it's, it's that nobody, nobody's ever faced it. No athletic director has ever had to manage a situation like this. There, there's no resource book that you can go out and read. It's all guesswork. Yeah. And so one of the things that, uh, I mean, I haven't verified this. I just saw it on Twitter. One of, one of the remaining top targets on the board was Calendary Lambert. Yeah. And supposedly he has canceled his official well, visit. He, well, he was supposed to come on Friday, and he canceled that. Thank goodness. Okay, so it wasn't. It's not necessarily that It wasn't bad, after the game. Okay, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Right. He canceled it before. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, how long before big donors start giving up? Uh, there's some buzz that that's already happening. I had one text me. 
There's a couple in uh, the chat. Uh, uh, Craig Lyons specifically said he's plat and he canceled his donation this morning. I had a I had a guy text me Friday, gives twenty grand a year, and said I'm done. So uh, this is another thing that will play itself out over the course of the next eight games. Um, you know, with Babcock is kind of looking at the landscape and thinking, huh, what do I do? And we're sitting there talking about what what do we do. Um, depending upon what the next eight games look like, the, and I put this in my, I'll put this in my article today, the path is likely to become a lot more clear over the uh-huh. next eight games. That includes stuff that we see and stuff that only Whit Babcock sees and hears. That's correct. So that, that, that poll that OxVT ran is at 52% right now in favor of imploding everything right, right. now. Okay, if Miami trounces Tech on Saturday, that's going to creep up to 55 56%. Yeah. And then Tech will beat Rhode Island, and it won't change. And then if you lose to UNC, then uh, it's oh up my to 58 gosh, or 60%. Lose to UNC. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So it's going to move up like 2% every loss. At least. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. so it, the, the, the path will become clearer along the way. <clears throat> uh, Michael Watson said he tried to ask this a few weeks ago on the message board. We always talked about the 2020 being 2020 being the year everything came together. Then Foster announces his retirement. Assuming Fuente stays, are we better at be are we better getting a defensive coordinator that runs a similar system or something different? Uh, well, assuming Fuente stays, uh, it's better to get it for uh, get a similar guy. A guy with a similar system, so there's very little adjustment because because of the personnel. If, if the personnel are right. so if Fuente stays, then he's probably only got one more year after that to get it right. So there's no reason to totally change defensive schemes, which will take at least a year for players to get used to everything like that. You got to hire. You got to get a very similar scheme in there that is it's it's not going to take a long adjustment period that that's very very important i think the old dominion defensive coordinator david blackwell um if bobby wilder gets fired from odu then that he will be available and he's a guy who he makes he makes defenses better right away he makes defenses better right away what he did at ecu was great what he's done at odu was great six years as a linebacker coach at clemson and he doesn't care about the status of the head coach, whether he's on the hot seat or not, he became. He became Bobby he, Wilder's living on the hot seat. He, he went right. there this year, and he was under Scotty Montgomery, and Scotty Montgomery was on the hot seat yeah. for a year, and so. So, so he's a Phil Mason type. He doesn't care. It, well, unless now he's like, you know what? I'm tired of this living in a different town every year. I want to try to find well, some stability. So there's a, yeah. you know, it depends on his personality and everything yeah. like that. But uh, right now. He would be my number one realistic target. People are going to say Torian. The more Virginia Tech loses, the less of a chance that's going to happen because Torian, since 2016, excuse me, the end of 2015, has lived in Blacksburg, Gainesville, Washington, D.C., back to Gainesville. Torian's probably tired of moving every year himself, and he's not going to want to come back to Blacksburg for what he thinks might only be one year. Yeah, and what might also be unrealistic unrealistic ex- expectations. Correct. Oh, you're going to be our savior. Yeah, you know, right, right. In right, exactly. coaching and recruiting. Correct. So, so, so Chris and I talk about Blackwell at ODU, and we were talking about him last night. And one of the things Blackwell does is he, he takes nobodies and turns them into rock stars at the bandit position. So Chris and I were looking at the roster, like, and so, so like, what is it? Is that like more of a whip guy? It's kind of a hybrid defensive end uh, uh, backer kind of guy. And so if you go and you read Amari Barno's scouting report that Chris wrote last year, Amari is probably redshirting so far this year. He's, he was, he's like a 6'6", 235 guy. And Chris literally said in the scouting report, I don't know if this is a backer or a defensive end. <laughs> I think David Blackwell would come in and look at that guy, assuming Barno's got any playing chops about him at all, and just go, you're my bandit. I like you. Or he might say with Jalen Griffin. Jalen Griffin's another you know? guy who could play that surprise. Yeah, yeah. And, and there is – there is a possibility if you hire a guy like Blackwell that, that he could help turn this thing around similar to Almation style. The, the physicality of ODU's defense is very impressive. They lost their best player to the New York Giants, yeah. and they were an awful defense last year, yeah. just awful. 
and they are so much better this year. They're, yeah. they're a solid defense this year. And and I like some of the guys I'm seeing Virginia Tech's defense. I'm I'm really encouraged by the uh, the defensive tackles. I, I agree. Deshaun Crawford's a really good yeah. player. Those young defensive tackles. Are and we good. haven't even seen Jaden Cunningham. Gar, gar, correct. Garbutt was good. I thought the other night yeah. in his yeah. first game back. Um, yeah. So I'm encouraged by the younger talent on Virginia Tech's defense. Uh, so it's very important to get those guys a really good coach when Bud leaves. Yeah. Let's do one or two more if you have any more, Malcolm. Actually, yeah. Uh, how do you sell this program to a quality coach without mortgaging the farm? Are we talking about head coach? I think so. Oh, Probably. Or just coaches in general because we're losing the defensive coordinator. Yeah, there, well, there, there's two ways to answer that. As far as assistant coaches right now, that, that that's the problem. That's a little that, tough. That, that's a little tough. Um, finding an entire staff of really competent power five level coaches to come in and coach for – for one year, yeah. where the possibility of only coaching one year is very difficult, and that's another one of the reasons I'm in favor of just ripping the right, bandaid right. off. Um, now, as far as head coaches go, and and I, I think I uh, think I'm putting this in my article today. This is still a good job, you know. It's uh, it's. I don't want to open a can of worms discussion about Virginia Tech's overall commitment to football. Um, I, I just I, I do think the Hokies are falling behind in the facilities arms race. Specifically, everybody they're recruiting against has a awesome fifty million dollar building. Virginia Tech doesn't doesn't have any plans to build one. But that's a whole other discussion. Uh, as far as the the fan base, the conference and the division in the conference. I don't think the recruiting hotbed is what it used to be, so that that could be a little problematic. But overall, you've got you know there were sixty thousand fans there the other night, even though the last ten games for this team have been pretty rough. So I think I think the built-in fan support is there, uh-huh. and I think there are guys out there, and we can throw names out like David Clawson and maybe even Dino Babers. I'm not saying hire Babers, but but there there are guys who are to some one degree or another proven at the P5 level that you could probably get away from other schools and get to Virginia Tech. The, the bigger issue is how much money will Virginia Tech have to spend on assistant coaches? Because yeah. if, if you're that's buying tough. out this whole staff, including Fuente, that's tough. I, I, like if I'm a head coach. I feel confident that I can do the job at Virginia Tech if I have the right assistance. But guess what? Those guys cost money these days. Assistant coaches cost money. I'm not taking this job unless I know I have a big enough budget to go out and hire the best assistants, and that's what I question. That's what I'm not 100% sure uh, about these days. You look at some of the budgets. So Ohio State, $7.4 million amongst its staff. Clemson, $6.8 million amongst staff. Mm. A&M, Virginia Tech is three point six. Yeah, but but let's let's not compare ourselves to those schools. Correct. You know, Uh, let's right. You shouldn't be compared to those schools. Yeah, understood. Any more, Malcolm? Uh, I got one more. Uh, Sort of a sidebar: Was Foster staying potentially actually a bad thing for? And who's asking that? Eric Fisher. Eric Fisher. Um, I think short term it was very very good because we had a lot of good great players on the defensive side of the ball. Um, long term, I don't think it's been so good. Uh, I, I think, uh, y- you know, the uh, per- what, what's going on in his personal life uh, and his health has affected him from a recruiting standpoint. Like, I, I think maybe we wouldn't have been as good defensive early, early in Fuente's tenure, but we might be a little bit better now because maybe we'd have a different starting defensive end maybe an upgraded corner or rover or something like that with a little bit better recruiting who 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 knows right um so i i think it was really good short term long term i just think it's 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 muddied the waters like it's put, him, right, it's put him in a tough position it's put fuente in an awful position yeah. honestly i mean he's he's on the hot seat with a defensive coordinator who's about to retire uh so yeah i i think if you had it to do over again uh, and I'm, this isn't a chrism because I would have done the exact same thing in that situation. Yeah, what are you going to do? What, what, if, what if word gets out that Whit Babcock said, I want to hire you as head coach, and, and Bud's agreed to stay on as your defensive coordinator, and you, Justin Puente, said, uh, no thanks on the Bud part. Right, right. Holy and the, cow. And, and that information got out to the fan base. Which it would have. Which it would have. And, yeah, so I would not have done anything different if I was Whit. I wouldn't have done anything different if I was Fuente. 
but it's one of those things as time has gone on and you look back i'm i'm just not sure it was the right move and that's not i, I don't blame anybody for that it's just one of those situations it is what it is and then right. we have to wrap it up yep great questions from everybody on facebook we appreciate, appreciate everybody uh chiming in certainly a great way to close things and We'll be back less than 48 hours from now, uh, Wednesday morning. We'll be getting ready for Virginia Tech and Miami. Uh, that's going to be a 3.30 kick on ESPN, just announced. So, right. yeah, Good. we'll be previewing okay. that one. Thank you, as always, for your time, you guys. It was a great podcast. And, again, appreciate everybody for uh, for supporting. And uh, bu busy week, I'm sure, with content on TSL. <laughs> busy week. <laughs> as always. Busy yeah. week on the message yeah. boards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, that'll do it for us here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Well, again, want to thank everybody for listening or watching and for the questions. want to thank our producer, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes for doing a great job on the podcast set. Our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder, and our head honcho, Will Stewart. And I'm Evan Hughes, podcast host, saying so long. We'll talk to you Wednesday morning, getting you set for Virginia Tech and Miami. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm.